This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Boston Loose Baseball is back. Grant Paulson solo with you today. No Danny. But we've got a lot to cover. Week one of the Major League Baseball season is ongoing. What do we think of the pitch clock so far? We'll get into a little stock report, take inventory on a State of the Union for the Nationals, who's performing well out of the gates and who isn't. You'll also hear from pitching coach Jim Hickey, and Barry Sferluga of the Washington Post on this installment of Boston Loose Baseball. We've now seen Josiah Gray and Mackenzie Gore make starts and the initial returns for Bats, Kbert Ruiz, C.J. Abrams, Luis Garcia, the integral pieces of the puzzle, the building blocks moving forward for this Nationals team. So we'll cover all those things right now. This is Bustin' Loose Baseball with Grant and Danny. Interviews, analytics, and analysis on everything baseball in the nation's capital. This is Bustin' Loose Baseball, and we are back and ready to talk about the Washington Nationals. Week one continues opening day in the rearview mirror. We wanted to get a few games out of the way to have some meat on the bone today for you as we break down some of the early season specifics for the Washington Nationals. So real quick, through four games, they are one and three. Kind of recapping the season to date with some highs and some lows. Back in game one on opening day, the 7-2 loss to the Braves. A couple of hits from Kbert Ruiz was good to see. I love that Robles got on base three times. Mason Thompson throwing a couple innings with three strikeouts was big. C.J. Abrams committing three errors, which nobody saw coming, was a real problem. And defensively, he has not looked overly confident. He has not looked uh, overly competent to this point. I did like after the day off uh, that he got to uh, end the weekend series that uh, he was much more comfortable, it would appear, on Monday night, made a couple of nice plays in the field, one charging, uh, got a ball at a hop high based on how fast he he broke and and how quickly he broke into the infield and did all the the little things right defensively. So I thought that was a good sign. But the three errors to begin the year for Abrams, who's still looking for his first hit of the season, not ideal, obviously, uh, as he is 0 for his first 10. Uh, Patrick Corbin was Patrick Corbin. I thought he pitched in some bad luck on opening day, but he needed 85 pitches to get nine outs. And, you know, even in this new pitch clock era, that game dragged. Uh, Luis Garcia was 0 for 4 and was out on the first pitch multiple times. In game two on Saturday, the 7-1 loss to the Braves after the day off on Friday, we saw Kbert Ruiz hit a bomb down the line in right. I thought seeing that power was huge. We have not really seen that thump from him in terms of not home run count, which obviously you want to see grow this year, but the actual distance on that home run. He visited the seats up in upper deck right field. That's section 238, 240. That's Bryce Harper, Adam Dunn, Kyle Schwarber territory. So that was 
I thought a big, big sign. Really liked what I saw on Saturday from Hobie Harris as well. Pitched a scoreless inning with a strikeout. Robles was on base a couple times again, which I thought was good. Uh, In that second game, Josiah Gray, after his incredible spring where he had the sub-1 ERA, you know, back-to-back home runs to start the contest, ended up giving up five Ernie's and three homers in the outing over five innings. It wasn't terrible. Uh, It also wasn't good, and it certainly was not what we were hoping for coming off of all the momentum of the spring. We've had him on the podcast. I talked to him on opening day. You know, I I thought he should have started on opening day over Patrick Corbin. I still feel that way. He was pitching on a day, it should be noted, with 20-mile-an-hour wins as a flyball pitcher who led the big leagues and home runs allowed last year. So, you know, that was working against him to some extent. Having said that, I thought he missed in the middle of the plate pretty frequently and too often, and he'll have to bounce back as he moves forward. Uh, in game three of the season, the uh, final game with the Braves on Sunday, I was at the ballpark to see Mackenzie Gore, who was outstanding. Five and a third innings of one run, six strikeout ball for him. A 4-1 to one win for the Nats as they got off the schneid and they won their first game of the year to improve to one and two. The first four base runners in that game scored, and then they didn't score again. In fact, the Nats had three hits after the first inning, but the top of the order, one through four, got aboard. I think it was hit, hit, walk, hit as part of three hits and three walks in the inning off of uh, Schuster, who was debuting for the Braves, their top pitching prospect, an ACC arm from Wake Forest, who's been pretty good in the minor leagues. I saw him in the Futures game last year, and I have high expectations for him in the Atlanta rotation this year. But he settled in, but he was really, really bad in the first inning, so the Nats scored those four runs, and Gore was able to go out, pitch with the lead, pitch confidently, Six strikeouts and five and a third. We'll talk more about him and his ceiling, but I thought he was really, really good. The bullpen behind him was outstanding. Three and two-third innings of one-hit ball. Uh, It was the first time we saw Ruiz go hitless, uh, so arrow down on that. And uh, three hits, no runs after the first inning offensively. There just wasn't a whole lot going on. I guess if there was anything negative to point out from Gore, who I thought overall was outstanding, and you'll take that start from him in his debut after a couple hundred days without pitching in a big league game, Uh, He did walk four, and you're going to want to lower that number, and I think he will as we move forward. And then the fourth game of the season, just uh, last evening, as I tape here on Tuesday morning, I've been at three of these four games. I was at Nationals Park yesterday. In fact, I was one of the 10,000-plus, the second smallest attendance in Nats history to be at their opener with the Rays in in the fourth game of the season, a 6-2 loss. Uh, They get a home run from Jamer Candelario his first of the season, Two more hits from Dom Smith, who's now a team best, 357 with his batting average. I, I thought Mason Thompson showed really well again. Some loud contact, high exit velocities off of him in that game. Uh, but he went three innings and allowed just one hit. Uh, that was the good. The bad from Monday night against the Rays would have been you know, another 0 for, for Abrams. He and Ruiz combined to go 0 for 6. Garcia was 0 for 4 in the leadoff spot. And uh, Trevor Williams, who I thought was okay, uh, yielded six hits and four runs. In five innings, you know, if the plan was for him to start fast and to have an impressive outing where he turns some heads and goes out and hangs a bunch of zeros, that certainly wasn't the case. You know, the two home runs he gave up were massive home runs, by the way. Like, they stayed hit, just bombs, complete missiles uh, from the Rays, who are good. They're 4-0. That's what it looks like, man. It's very, very different teams that you're watching right now. Tampa Bay, not a lot of power, by the way. They are an analytical juggernaut. They're an on-base team. They got a lot of guys who um, don't even hit for average, but draw walks and work counts. You know, they do certainly have some average hitters. Certainly early this season, a lot of their guys are off to fast starts. But you know, they probably won't have, but maybe one thirty homer bat in their lineup if 
Uh, Brandon Lau, the former Maryland Turpin, accomplishes the trick. Otherwise, I'll have a couple guys hitting 20-plus. You know, it's, it's not like the Phillies or some of these teams that you know assemble themselves with a bunch of mashers and play the long ball game. Uh, that's not the way the Rays do it. But I figured we could just kind of go through it with that out of the way, the recap of these first four games as the Nats are one and three, some of what we have seen so far. So let's start at the plate offensively. Uh, Joey Manessis is three for 17. He is one of just six Nationals who's driven in a run to this point. Uh, Manessis still looking for his first extra base hit of the season, seven strikeouts, slow start to the season for him. Lane Thomas, five for his first 16 at the plate, hitting over 300. Had a pretty huge game in the win, I believe it was, on Sunday uh, when he was at the top of the order and a big part of the the four-run first inning. So a lot of those numbers with the small samples came kind of in one performance. Uh, More notably, how are the kids faring, right? Luis Garcia, one for his first 14 at the plate. C.J. Abrams, 0 for 10. And K. Barrett Ruiz, kind of the bright spot among the youngsters, is 4 for 13, hitting over 300 to start the year. He is one of two Nationals, along with Candelario, with a home run. And so far, one of the things I like about Ruiz and the team in general is, you know, he has been able to look at pitches and, and get deep into counts. He's got two walks and three strikeouts. Now, you keep the walk and the strikeout total similar, that's a really big deal. And everyone's talking about C.J. Abrams being 0 for 10. I, I actually like the approach. You know, he had a nine-pitch walk that he worked uh, in the Rays series opener on Monday night to get runners on the corners and extend an inning. He's only struck out once in 10 at-bats. So you're talking about now one walk and one strikeout. The ball's been in play, and we can get into the exit velocities from C.J. Abrams, but, I mean, he stung a ball for, I believe it was the final out of that game on Monday night against Tampa Bay into the left-center gap that was well over 90 miles per hour in terms of exit velocity. If you look at the comparison uh, so far for him, pretty similar to last year, about 86.5 miles per hour off the bat last season, 87.4 so far this season, still looking for a barrel. Uh, last year, over 1,000 pitches, just five barrels for him. Barrel percentage was over 2% barely. Uh, so you want that to go up and, and this year as we go on. Uh, he's got nine batted balls compared to the 238 last year. Um, so we're waiting to, to see him find that barrel, but... Look, I'm not overly concerned about C.J. Abrams. Uh, He used the entire field when he was hitting last season. You look at the spray chart, uh, he's certainly going to pull the ball for his power, Uh, although I will say he had one of his couple of home runs last year almost down the left field line. Uh, But I think the approach has been better than the results to this point. And while offense is more a curiosity for me about Abrams long-term than his glove and his defense – you know, the, the three errors in the first game, disastrous and really problematic. But this is what this whole season's about. And what I'm kind of excited about is seeing how he responds to that. Like, how do you recover? How do you bounce back? What is your mindset and your mentality when you get back on the field? And I, I thought in game two, there was a bang-bang play to the backhand side that probably could have gone for an error against him. I uh, went for a hit. And it was kind of the, the, the play that in the big leagues needs to be made. And instead of a fourth error on the season, he's still got three. But since then, I think he's been really comfortable. You know, one of the things that all the, the Nats folks I talked to in the front office, player development side, all the way up to the, you know, Mike Rizzo's uh, department is 
they think that C.J. Abrams is the kind of guy who has the confidence, the belief in himself that he's not going to allow failures to, to hinder him and and he's not going to get down on himself like a young guy normally would. And I think that's an important thing to remember. I mean, C.J. Abrams, as we talk today, is the eighth youngest player in Major League Baseball. And people forget that because we've now seen him in the big leagues, it feels like, forever. But Luis Garcia, for God's sake, is the 12th youngest player in baseball. I mean, two of the, the Nationals are among the 12 youngest in the sport. Abrams played in 90 games in 2022, was in the show at the start of last season. And so I think because you know he's been knocking on the door of, of the major league since the beginning of last year, maybe you know we don't think about how youthful he actually is. But obviously tracking him, monitoring you know, how he continues to progress is going to be significant very, very early. So it's probably not worth diving too deep into any of the analytics. But 33rd percentile, max exit velo so far, 18th and outs above average percentile. Um, at this point defensively, obviously uh, that is an area where he's going to improve as the year goes on, and that gets skewed by just the one game. So not something I would worry a whole lot about. Uh, Corey Dickerson is already on the shelf. They've recalled Stone Garrett from AAA. That might mean some more opportunities early on for Alex Cole, who's played in just a couple of games and is 0 for his first four, although he has driven in a couple runs. He's another guy, by the way, with two walks and three strikeouts. Like Cole... Abrams, Ruiz, Dominic Smith, same number of walks as strikeouts, two to two, uh, all very, very similar walk to K totals, which uh, is where you want to be. It's a good sign. On the pitching side of things so far, a little State of the Union on the Nationals here on Boston Loose Baseball after four games. Uh, let's go through the rotation first. So you've had four starters take their turn. We'll see Chad Cool for the first time this evening against the Rays to kind of round out the rotation. And uh, then we'll turn things back over to Corbin against Shane McClanahan for a matinee on Wednesday at Nats Park on a getaway day. Corbin's first start, as I mentioned, I thought was he pitched in some bad luck at a couple of bleeders, infield hits that ended up costing him base runners. You know, there were the miscues behind him defensively as well by Abrams that could have helped him get a double play ball at one point. Probably deserved better than seven hits, certainly better than four runs. That's why only two of them were earned in his three innings, but he did walk three to go along with three strikeouts and into the average against coming out of that start, even if a tick misleading, um, 41% of the time, the Braves put the ball in play for a base hit. So uh, Corbin is kind of picking up where he's left off after three straight years as statistically the worst pitcher in baseball. Um, Trevor Williams, we'll, we'll go to the next veteran before we go to the more important kids in a second. You know, look, Williams is going to be in this rotation, I think, longer than maybe a lot of people want this year if he's healthy because I, I think he has the ability to eat some innings. I think this is an upgrade from, like, what they've had in guys like uh, Corey Abbott, as an example, or, um, you know, Paolo Espino is another guy who's kind of one of those – Triple-A starters right now is a back-of-the-rotation uh, Robert for them the last couple of years, right? I mean, Williams, who went five innings, gave up the four runs, three earned, a couple of homers in his first start. We had him on the pod. He, he talked about being more comfortable in the rotation. I think if he could go out as the weather gets warmer, his pitch count is able to, to elevate to 100, 105 a start, you know, he should be able to give you 15 to 18 outs 
almost every time he throws, and that's going to be invaluable, just like we talk about with Patrick Corbin, with young starters, as you're trying to keep the training wheels in some ways on Gray and on Gore, or when they call up, hopefully, some of their other prospect-type arms from the minor leagues, right? Whether that's Jake Irvin, who's in the AAA rotation right now for the Nationals, or maybe you know an Evan Lee or a Jackson Tatro or somebody like that uh, is able to, to start making starts, they're not going to just let those guys go six and seven innings. So you're going to need veterans, even when they're getting kicked around in Corbin and Williams' case occasionally, and maybe in their cases frequently, to continue to, to be on the mound throwing pitches, eating those innings, right? Someone's got to do it. Um, so those two guys first time through, kind of about what you would have anticipated, I would guess. Uh, now to the young guys. So Gray's start was disappointing. There's no doubt about that. Uh, he didn't throw the cutter as much as I thought he was going to. It was a huge talk of camp, and then it was kind of the, the same stuff, at least early in his start, that we'd seen last year. So I would uh, be interested to see him incorporate that a little bit more. Five innings, seven hits, five runs, all earned for him as he gave up the three homers, two of them, as I mentioned, to the first two batters of the game. I think in, in Josiah Gray's case, look, if you could go back and kind of take away the first couple batters, you'd feel a lot different about that start. Wouldn't that be nice? I mean, you, you could say that, I guess, about the two worst sequences of everybody's start, and, and everyone would be a good pitcher um, because he got barreled up, right? Exit velocity, max of 111 in that game. Um, but, you know, look, it's one start. Again, it was a super windy day. I'm not going to sit here and panic. I will tell you, this is a critical season, though. This is kind of a got-to-have-it year in terms of him making a leap. He is 25. He will be in the big leagues making a start every five days for the second season. One of the things that I think a lot of people liked about Josiah Gray as a prospect out of LeMoyne was when he was drafted in the competitive rounds, uh, competitive balance B round What was – Look, this is a guy with the 72nd pick who was new to pitching. He's athletic. He's going to figure some things out. He's going to be a bit of a late bloomer, right? Well, we're getting to a point now at 25 where you, you want to see it this season. If he's got it, let's start putting it together. Uh, I think the cutter is going to help him a lot, and his spring ERA of .7 was a big deal. Now, I'm not sitting here telling you that's the end-all, be-all, or he's he's now an ace or anything like that. that that's not the point. But – you saw that he's got what it takes to get some good big league hitters out. Uh, I did see where he was talking to the media a few days ago about just how different the at-bats are in the regular season right away from spring training and how competitive they are and how much guys are um, working differently and, and more maybe seriously and diligently than, than at times you're going to get in spring training uh, when people are putting their work in or, or tinkering or figuring some things out whether it's with the clock or otherwise, which I want to talk about the clock in just a little bit here on Boston Loose Baseball. But one start down for Gray. Can't wait to see him back on the hill, see what he can figure out going into uh, start number two. I just think in general, you know, we're going to have to – I'm not going to ask for patience. I, I think asking for patience from people who have been patient and you guys have is borderline condescending, but – I think we just have to properly quantify and understand this sport's a marathon. This is a six-month journey here. Let, let's not look at a snapshot after a start or two or three and think that we've got everything figured out, right? This is a sample size game. We're talking about hundreds of at-bats and, and eight, hundreds of innings and 
dozens of starts that we're going to use to get some intel this season. Uh, Gray, as an example, pitches his next start at Coors Field. Again, you've got this guy who gives up more homers than anyone in baseball last year, and his first start at home is with 20-mile-an-hour winds blowing out, and his second start is at Coors Field. So if he gives up another two or three homers in a super hitter-friendly ballpark, I mean, people are going to be panicking and going crazy, and ideally that's not the case, and he goes out and he shoves and he throws six scoreless, but I just think context matters a little bit as well. Now, what I will say about Gray is, and I've always kind of thought this, I mean, there was maybe some hope or still is perhaps that he can connect all the dots and become like a front-of-the-rotation starter. I've always thought realistically, just from a stuff standpoint, a profile standpoint, he's more of a everything clicks, he's a two, but he's probably your third starter when you're a championship-level team. Cade Cavalli, who was a first-round pick, unlike Gray, who was a you know, top of a system prospect, right? He probably better profiles as a front rotation guy. I would say in this rotation, maybe you're two if it's homegrown ultimately. Behind Gore, who I think has the best chance to be an ace. You know, he was a number three overall pick. These other two guys weren't taken in the top five. He was the 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 vaunted, revered prospect in the Padres system for years, right? These other guys have not been at that same level necessarily in terms of you know where they were regarded in a really good system. Cavalli was the Nationals' best prospect before their system added some real high-end talent, and all of a sudden he slides down into that you know three, four, five, six range, depending on where you're looking. And that's not to knock Cade Cavalli. I'm a big Cavalli believer. Uh, I was heartbroken for him and for you guys when, when he got hurt, and, and I still think very, very highly of him coming back from Tommy John surgery. My point isn't to diminish him as a prospect as much as it is to say, like, we're going to find out if he can throw strikes uh, and, and pelt the zone and be pitch efficient and be a guy who can go give you seven, eight innings at times. You know, that that dominant seven, eight inning outing where you're punching out 10 or 11 that aces can turn in. We're going to find that out. Uh, but in the meantime, I think what's more likely is it's a lot of six inning, nine strikeout outings with 103 pitches and, and, and he is more maybe a, a number two type starter. Um, Gore to me, again, if, if I had to just go to the betting window and put money down on one of these guys becoming an ace, I think has the, the mix of stuff, and you saw it in his first start, fastball, curveball, slider, through one changeup as well, mostly those first three pitches, though. And also, I, I think he's got makeup. Not to say the others don't. I, I think Josiah Gray's brilliant, like super smart and cerebral and intuitive. I think is a really sharp guy with some pitchability, but also a bulldog who's getting after you. But Gore is kind of the total package, right? At 24 years old, we saw him punch out 10 in a game last year, big league level. Through two months, he was one of the best pitchers in the sport. Like, we just haven't seen that performance from the other guys. They weren't taken in the top five. And there's a lot of reasons to believe Gore has that big ceiling. And uh, so far, so good for him through that one start. Uh, in the bullpen, look, I mentioned Mason Thompson. I was surprised they stretched him out for three innings. Uh, in his second outing to, to kick off the Rays series. But now he's pitched five innings, and he's allowed just two hits and one earned run. Uh, good start to his season. Uh, Hunter Harvey has been throwing gas. He touched 100 miles an hour on the Nationals Park gun. He's mostly going to sit 97. He's pitched two times, an inning in two-thirds, only allowed a hit. Oddly, five outs, none of them via the strikeout, which with his stuff early on is a little bit surprising. Uh, do I think this bullpen's great? I don't. 
Uh, I'm not convinced they have a closer. I think Kyle Finnegan's a really good arm. Ideally, on a first division team, he's probably you know a seventh, eighth inning type guy. He's going to get a chance to close for the Nationals. I'll be curious to see if Hunter Harvey could grow into a role like that. You know, with his upside as a former first round pick, could throw 100 miles an hour. But between Finnegan and Harvey, Thompson. Carl Edwards Jr., who we saw make his debut this week at Nats Park and throw a clean inning with one walk. Um, They've certainly got enough arms to to be competent. They throw very hard. I think you're mostly going to see Rule 5 pick Thaddeus Ward, who has pitched now once and in two innings gave up a couple hits and a couple runs earned. I think you're going to see him when they have a decent lead and when they're uh, behind by a bunch. Like It's going to be the B bullpen kind of. Uh, role for him as they indoctrinate him to the big leagues and try to keep him lower leverage. In fact, we should play a little later in this uh, Boston Loose baseball. Darius can attach uh, Jim Hickey on opening day, kind of talking about some of the bullpen roles as he sees them. I think he blanked on Thad Ward's name, but he was talking about Thaddeus Ward and and how they might use him as the uh, season goes on. So I'm, I'm not you know, blown away by anybody in the bullpen necessarily. But I do think from a stuff perspective that there's just a better collection of velo and some swing and miss stuff than we've seen at times in the past. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Long gone. All right, now for the pitch clock, which I told you I wanted to talk about. So when it was originally implemented, my take was this is not being done for me. I'm a diehard baseball fan. I like the tension and the pace and the the big moments of pitcher versus batter, back and forth, mano a mano. You know, there's no clock here, so eventually you got to throw to me on your own time. Having said that, I also understand that baseball's not changing the rules for me. I'm going to watch regardless. If a game's two hours or four hours, I'm going to be at the ballpark regardless. They have now changed the game completely so that we're getting out of the ballpark in two hours and 20 minutes, and games are a half hour shorter. And I love the pace. I got to tell you, I, I don't necessarily love that games are that short. If you're going to a game, maybe you miss more time going to the bathroom 
or more game time, I should say, more innings. Uh, you used to miss a half inning going and getting your chicken tenders and fries. Now you might miss a full inning. If you tack on a bathroom break, maybe it's an inning and a half, you know, if there's long lines at the ballpark. We're not going to have that problem at Nats Park very often, probably. It doesn't appear this season after they had their second lowest attendance ever on Monday night. Uh, that said, I really like the pace. I like that we've cut out some downtime, and it just seems like the product, certainly on TV, is is enhanced. Um, having been at the Nats games three out of the four, I think it's really good in person, too, uh, even though at times I have felt like it is shorter, and, and maybe if you're a paying customer who's paying a lot of money, you feel gypped on having paid three-plus hours of entertainment before and now getting, like, two hours and 20 minutes. You know, there's probably got to be a way where we figure out how more concessions come to you at your seat, more people are coming up and down the aisle with food and drinks so you don't have to leave. There's probably not a way we can figure out uh, chat GPT or something to, to go to the bathroom for you. But uh, So that you're going to have to do, but... I talked to one guy who said he he got to the ballpark at 4 o'clock for a 4.05 game this weekend against the Braves. And by the time he got in the ballpark through the lines to his seat, it was the third inning or something like that. He'd missed the first two innings. and I mean, that's a real problem. Like that, that We got to figure all that out because the game being quicker, more efficient, shorter, jam-packed with action, whatever you want to call it, is probably a huge success as it pertains to kids being able to watch more games before bedtime, Kids being able to go to more weeknight games, you know, those types of ways that we're going to try to grow the game. The product just being better in general on TV in terms of pace. But for the consumers that are paying a lot of money or season ticket holders at the ballpark, you got to make sure that they don't feel like they're getting screwed. So there might be some corrections to be had as we move forward here. I'm sure there's going to be some talk about whether or not 15 seconds with nobody on base and 20 seconds with a runner on needs to become 20 and 25 uh, I personally like the pace as it is. I wouldn't tinker with the clock. I would just put it on these teams to be more efficient in the ballpark and, and getting people fed and getting people in and out of the bathroom and getting people seated. Uh, we, we just got to find a way to, to have that process happen in a way that's more conducive to not being able to be at your seat for the amount of time that it currently takes. That's kind of where I would focus things. Uh, we could talk in a future podcast about the stolen base in baseball and the fact that it is back in a way that it hasn't been in a long time. We were at a 50-year low for steals last year, and with the number of disengagements you're allowed now and the limited number of pickoffs of first, teams are running wild. Now, the Nationals are not one of those teams, by the way. Uh, they're still looking for a stolen base. In fact, they didn't attempt a steal until game number three of the season, and it was Luis Garcia who got thrown out last year more than he was successful, and he got thrown out again. So somehow with all of the, the steals that you're seeing and the new rules and the fact that it's borderline impossible to throw a runner out, uh, the Nationals are 0 for 1 and have not yet stolen a base, which is just incredible to me. I, I don't know how many more rules would have to change for them to somehow start manufacturing and creating some runs on the base paths. But you would think that'll be a part of their plan this year with a younger team, more athletes, theoretically, and certainly not a team built around the long ball or the home run the way that they have been with some big money boppers in the middle of the lineup in the past. Uh, but no steals to this point for Washington. Hopefully they get number one as they continue this series with the Tampa Bay Rays on this Tuesday night. See you later. 
All right, as I told you, I wanted you to hear the interview that uh, Danny and I did with Jim Hickey on opening day. I don't think this is timely in a way that uh, you'll uh, hear any audio that is no longer valuable to you. But uh, bigger picture, we just kind of talked about the young arms, how he felt coming out of spring training, going into the first week of the season, and and what some of the roles in the pen could look like. So this is the pitching coach of the Nationals, Jim Hickey. Feeling really good about the group that we've assembled, actually. You know, we talk about the process all the time, and they couldn't have done better at working the process all throughout spring training. They all threw strikes. They all worked ahead. They all worked quickly. And, of course, now with the uh, uh, pitch clock, that's something that everybody's going to have to do. But I couldn't be happier with where we're at as a whole. How have guys taken to that? That pitch clock is going to be different than everybody grew up playing with, right? And how does that affect guys and their preparation and maybe in-game? It's definitely different, but I said from the the beginning that it was probably going to affect the hitters more than it was the pitchers, and I think that has been the case. We've only had a couple of pitchers who uh, were affected by it. We only had a couple of violations, and actually uh, four or five of the violations belong to one guy. <laughs> you know, So <laughs> it really hasn't been a problem uh, overall. I, I think there might be a little bit more of an adjustment as we start these real games, but I, I again think it's going to probably have more uh, an effect on the hitters than it is the pitchers. Was that something you've been, you mentioned this is your 18th big league opening day, you've been a pitching coach, many successful organizations for years. From a coaching standpoint, did you have to like go over the material first and then present it to them as it pertained to the pitch clock? Did you change anything in terms of how you instruct pitch to pitch? No, not really. The only thing that we did in terms of the pitch clock was uh, we got our own little shot clocks out early in spring training. And, you know, as we threw bullpens and things, we made guys aware of it. And we knew who worked slow. You know, for instance, Kyle Finnegan worked extremely slow and just told him, uh, you know, over the wintertime that this is something that you're going to have to address. And it really has not been that big of an adjustment. So, as Grant mentioned, it's a young pitching staff, right? I'm just thinking Josiah Gray specifically here for a moment. Cutter this spring, brand new toy. How do you say, hey man, you're in the big list because that fastball, curveball, slider, but here's your new weapon, so you don't over end up falling in love with it too much and relying on it? Like, how do you balance that kind of a thing as these guys are developing? Well, it's a good question. Uh, you know, most of his misses with his fastball, not most of his misses, virtually all of his misses with his fastball were those arm side runners, uh, uh, you know, so and, and a lot of them were non-competitive pitches. And that's really what we tried to eliminate was just simply these balls out of hand type of pitches. Um, so the cutter's helping him do that. Uh, and it's actually been a pretty effective pitch overall. And I think it's gotten him into the strike zone with his other stuff as well. So uh, I'm, I'm not a huge uh, proponent of... You know, trying to fix something by you know adding something else, if you will. I would rather fix that big arm side run. Um, but if a cutter is, is a way around that, I'm all for it, and he's done well with it. Jim Hickey's the pitching coach of the Nationals with us here on opening day on the field during batting practice. Mackenzie Gore was at one point one of the top five prospects in all of baseball. Real cool for you guys to bring him to the organization in the Soto deal. What did you see from him this offseason? We've still never seen him pitch in this ballpark in a Nats uniform other than the exhibition game because of the shutdown last year. No, we, we saw him in a couple of bullpens though, as he was you know getting ready for his uh, rehab uh, process. Uh, the first thing that I noticed with him is the way the ball jumps out of his hand. You know, it's it's we have the ability to measure all of this stuff now. But if we if it was 20 years ago and, and you didn't have all of this, um, you know, data per se, you know, you would just say, man, that ball jumps. It really has life through the strike zone. And then the secondary stuff, uh, both the slider and the curveball, really have bite. So really athletic kid. The ball comes out of his lo- his hand live. 
Uh, it jumps at home plate. Uh, it really gets on you. So uh, he's really got some good stuff. And, you know, he's done a great job of uh, just pitching also, you know, not just getting up there and firing away and, and, you know, hoping for the best. He's done a really nice job of putting it together and mixing, matching, and, and, and changing speeds. Coach, with the young guys on this staff, development's at a premium to, to be able to compete not only this year, but years in the future. How do you balance that maybe against results kind of in the immediate moment, right? Keep them focused on the process. Yeah, it is, it is tough because we want to win, obviously. We want to win as many ball games as we can, uh, and there is certainly development going on here, especially with those younger guys. But I think you hit the nail on the head. You know, it's just all about the process. Um, you know, we're not going to uh, be happy if we follow the process and get our brains kicked in ten times in a row. You know, there's definitely some performance in there as well. But I really do believe that if they just stick to uh, what it is that their game plan is, their particular game plan is, uh, that we'll have a lot more success than not. Do you guys have kind of what you vision as an A versus a B bullpen? Are there defined roles? Can you kind of walk us through what you're expecting? A lot of new faces there. Well, the answer to the question is yes, we do. I mean, every team does. You know, based on last year, I mean, if we have a lead today later in the ball game, you're going to see either Erasmo Ramirez or C.J. Edwards or Finnegan or Hunter. And if we're in a deficit, you know, in the fifth inning, you're probably going to see, you know, the Hobie Hunters and the uh, – you know the, the, the uh, I'm drawing a blank right now um, on, on on the name, but uh, absolutely. But these things can change in a heartbeat. You know, Erasmo Ramirez and C.J. Edwards weren't even in, in the major leagues last year at this time. They were non-roster invitees to major league camp, and they were in the minor leagues, and they turned out to be two of our best pitchers. So. Uh, Definitely we have a, an A bullpen and a B bullpen, if you will, but that could change in, the, in a matter of days. When do you know in your heart it's time for a visit? Maybe this year you're letting the guys struggle a little bit more, let them sink or swim a little bit more, or like when, when did you, did you just feel it in your gut? Is it when Davey whispers to you? What is it? Yeah, it's hard to answer. You know, sometimes you absolutely positively know, uh, and it's time to go. You know, you have no qualms about it. Sometimes you're a little bit uneasy about it. Uh, sometimes when the manager says, go see him, you go, oh, gosh, you know, I don't, I'm not even sure why I'm going out here, so I'm making up something on the fly. Um, but there's, you know, it's, it's all different with everybody, and, you know, sometimes there's just little ticks with a, a certain guy where you know, even though it's just ball one, you know, maybe he just threw a, a seven-pitch at bat to the guy before, and now he throws ball one, he misses arm side high. Joe Gray's a good example. Uh, you, you know, you know when it's time to go, but not always. You know, not always. Do you ever go out there and say nothing about baseball? Like, do you ever oh, walk absolutely. out? Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Uh, no, no, like nice uh, <laughs> no question about it. Yeah, just like the Bull Durham scene, absolutely positively. Or I'll tell them something like it's a national TV game and my mom's watching, so I, you know, I just needed to get out here and make an appearance. So, all right, I'll see you later. <laughs> Enjoy opening day. Thanks, right, Jim. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. And while we are giving you some of our audio from our opening day coverage of the team on our uh, D.C. station, 106.7 The Fan, we also found Barry Sferluga, who I think is as good a baseball writer as there is in the nation's capital. And we talked about the year ahead and some bigger picture stuff, uh, the sale or lack thereof with the learners, what that means for the fan base, trying to grow the fan base in a year right now where the winds are going to be at a premium, you know, coming off of, as I said, just 10,000 people in the ballpark for the first weekday night game of the season that was an opening day. Here's what Barry had to say about the 2023 season. You know, opening day is like, whatever, Christmas, you're unwrapping this package. Like, there are some packages here that you want to unwrap. Like, you want to unwrap the shortstop, um, C.J. Abrams. Over the weekend, you want to see 
Josiah Gray and Mackenzie Gore pitch. Um, you want to see if Kebert Ruiz, Kebert Ruiz takes a step forward and and is like, okay, I'm the backbone of this organization because I'm the one who's already signed. So is, are they going to lose 100 games? Yeah, they're going to lose 100 games. There's an interesting way to lose 100 games, a promising way to lose 100 games that wasn't last summer. It could be this summer. Barry, tough to quantify this, but I, I think I've felt it, and I want to ask you if you have as well. I feel like this fan base is handling this rebuild pretty well, it, despite being kind of a new thing. I, I, I've i heard both sides of it. Like, I have friends who are dive back into, like, I want to know who James Wood is and how is Elijah Green playing and is Jackson Rutledge starting at double-A, like all that minutia that, that they want to be in on the ground floor. And I've also heard people like, how are they charging major league ticket prices for um, a minor league product? I, I think it's a it's a very, very individual choice and sometimes an emotional choice. And it, it does feel like, um, you know, we're going to have those nights, lots of nights, where the first two hitters in the Phillies lineup are Trey Turner and Bryce Harper, and you're like, oh, my God, like that wasn't that long ago, right? So I get all sides of it. I think if you want to enjoy it, you, you, you should embrace, like, oh, they actually got some players for Juan Soto and, and Max and Trey. Let's see how this works out. Barry Sferluga here on Grant and Danny on opening day. For the moment, there's no sale, right? You guys at the Post, yourself, Chelsea, have been doing a lot of reporting on that. That seems like a letdown. I mean, what should fans think about that? And are they still going to try to sell ultimately? What do you think is going to happen here? So I do think they will try to sell ultimately. I get that during the year. I was always told that these are better off-season transactions than they are in, in mid-year. The, the problem is, and Mike Rizzo, in talking to the group of reporters beforehand, addressed this. Like He can have certainty about today and about 2023. If this is the year that would replicate going from 2010 to 2011 when they made the Jason Worth signing in the offseason that was the kind of like year ahead, we're not good yet, but we're in position to get good deal that kind of um, surprised the market, who are you pitching that to? Who Who is signing the checks for that person who you're signing for seven years? And can you even approve that? So I think that it's not really going to affect like whether Brady House develops this year but it does impact planning for 2024 and beyond. And it's felt to me, Barry, like there's some, paralysis isn't totally the right word, but there's some stagnation knowing that $60 million this year of payroll, 70 next year with Corbin and Strasburg, one guy underperforming, one guy maybe never performing again, is maybe too big for anybody to overcome. So you may as well go bare bones until maybe you feel like you're ready to make that worth 2.0. And that's, that's the hard part. Like, do they, if you don't spend, and particularly if this group that is trying to get out the door doesn't spend, it will only look like you're being cheap. It just, it just, the right now with this, should they be spending a ton of money to bring in free agents with this roster? No, but there's going to be a point when it's like, okay, it's like, you know, Louis Garcia and C.J. Abrams have now played together in a middle infield. We, we, the pieces, we need pieces around it. Like, there's a core here. If, if they don't spend when it's time to spend, that's going to feel terrible and alienate more people than they've already alienated. Ferris for Luga here on Grant and Danny with us on opening day. You've mentioned the young guys, which we can hit on in a second. As far as the, the veterans they went out and got, they didn't have much money to work with, it would appear. But Trevor Williams in the rotation, Jamer Candelario a couple of years ago smacked a bunch of doubles for the, the Tigers. Dom Smith was a, an 11th overall pick at one point. What do you think about what they did? And is there something 
maybe that, that could turn into a player they could flip at the deadline in, in that pile? Well, I think Smith would be one, you know, a really good defensive first baseman, left-handed bat, like could hit, have a little bit of pop. Um, one thing I think that all of those players that you mentioned, like last year in like May, you couldn't turn on the TV and look at these guys without them throwing the baseball all over the It was just junk. It was not professional. It, it, it was a bad team that played bad baseball. I, I do think this could be a team that struggles to score but probably prevents a lot more runs than it did last year, both defensively and if they throw strikes, which they did a really good job at, uh, uh, in spring training. So Williams gives, you know, am I more excited to see Josiah Gray and, and Mackenzie Gore start? I am. But does he give you a professional outing more times than not um, and, and allow you uh, to save your bullpen a little bit? Yeah, he probably does. He's not really part of the future, but you've got to have some little stopgap, and he would be one of them. What do you expect from Joey Manessis this year? Uh, you know, 45, 50 bombs, uh, OPS of one, maybe 1,100. No, uh, you know, if he's if he is like, what would be a good slash line for him? Like 280, 350, you know, 450, something like that. Like, like they knew because he has hit everywhere at every level that he was not going to be overwhelmed by the moment. He's not going to hit 400. He's not going to homer, you know, once every two two nights. But you feel like you're going to get a professional at bat from him. Maybe you know, maybe he's a 30, 35 double guy. Um, but it's a fun. That's if you're going to take the optimistic view of this re rebuild. That was the most fun thing about last summer. It wasn't even the kids. It was like, oh my god, this guy who finally got a chance, and now he's taking it to the stage of the WBC too. Like that's fun. Like root for Joey Manessis. You could have a fun time doing that. I want to sneak one in on the poll you guys had that you published this week. We had Rick Mace on the show yesterday. The Nats had more growth, I think, based on the timeline more than anything else, but 10 to 23, that was before they started making the playoffs, doubled in terms of how many people in this town said that they're a fan of the Nats. How does the commander sail and, and just the, the landscape of this city, like when you see some of those numbers, factor into where we're headed for this fan base and this organization in the future? Well, I mean, I think, you know, if you took a poll on the day before Snyder sells the team, and the day after, I mean, what is it's triple, yeah. quadruple, whatever. Like it's it's that that is a. I mean, I I have said, and I I think it's arguable. If he sells the team, what are the biggest things in, that has happened in sports in this town in this century? They are the Caps winning the cup, the Nats winning the World Series in, in nineteen. Um, you could throw a Maryland in there. Baseball returning in 05. You could argue that Dan Snyder selling the Commanders is the biggest sports story in this town this century, which would trump two championships in major in major sports. I, I, I mean, it's a great debate. Maybe not everybody would agree with it, but it's in the conversation, right? Nothing can make you feel more different about that franchise if, if the one thing that has held it back is suddenly gone. That would be ridiculously amazing. Enjoy the season, and thanks for the time. Thanks, guys. I appreciate you having me. So there you go. That's Bustin' Loose Baseball, week one of the season, almost in the books here as we close in on the end of series number two with the Tampa Bay Rays. We'll be back at it next week. We'll have a conversation on some of the rule changes in baseball, including the stolen base uh, up with the pickover attempts having been limited. I want to get deeper into that and also look at uh, batting averages on balls in play with the shift being taken out of the game. We'll also get into start number two, for Josiah Gray and Mackenzie Gore and uh, the Kbert Ruiz, Luis Garcia tracker as we keep our eye 
on all of the young big leaguers. We'll also have your first full minor league report. The AAA season is underway already. Jake Irvin, who I mentioned earlier, the arm who a lot of Nationals brass are high on, a right-hander who's big, 6'6", and about 230 pounds, made his first start and threw four and a third innings, uh, had four strikeouts uh, in his first outing of the season, left with an ERA just a hair over two. A good start for him at the AAA level. But we'll get you a full minor league notebook next time on Bustin' Loose Baseball. Thanks so much for listening, and enjoy Nats baseball until we talk again.